This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's the most tragic hour in America's history. Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. Welcome to the Bitchy Nikki and Tom Show. Here we are. <laughs> what, you don't like that one? I am what I am, I guess. This is take three. It might be take three of, like, maybe seven if you keep it up. Well, we'll see about that. I don't think I have the patience for take five. So if we screw this up, we got maybe one more shot at it. And then I think that's where we draw the line. Well, that is certainly one way to get me to behave on air, Tom. Ah, look at me just doing what I got to, right? So, Nikki, what is today? Well, first I'd like to say hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in this week. For what is bound to be a shit show of a show. <laughs> again. And again. And again. This is the third time we're doing it. So what? Oh, man. Like, just have fun, man. Like, stop, like, giving me faces and just have fun with the show. It's supposed to be a fun thing. Not like, let's make fun of Tom's timing and shit. Right? I guess, yeah. Well, very well done, then. Thank you. So... Well, this is definitely the best take out of all three, for sure. Can you imagine what the other two takes were like? (laughs) Not good. Not good. So, today, and when the show comes out, it'll be 9-11. So we figured, we've never done a 9-11 show before, so why not do one? Especially since Nikki has been working on a bunch of 9-11 stuff over the past week or so for her regular work. That's right. So before we get started with dumping this light topic on you, why don't we start with a You Heard. You Heard? This week's You Heard happens to come to us from the 9-11 Memorial in Lower Manhattan, not too far from where my work office is. It's so pretty. That's the whole thing? That's the whole thing. In regards to what? 
in regards to the memorial, like how the, the reflecting pools are and the trees that they've planted there and, you know, seeing the towers that are now there and rebuilt and beautiful blue and gleaming. All right. Fair enough. I could see that. You brought back a bunch of pictures when you were down there, and it is definitely aesthetically very pleasing for sure. But you were also there on a really, really nice day. So, I mean, you had a bunch of blue skies and white clouds and everything reflected cool. And so, you know. Yeah, it was a really beautiful day that day. All right. Is there anything else? Nope, that's this week's You Heard. So 9-11. The original Twin Towers that were there was something that I personally always just loved. Loved, loved, loved the Twin Towers. Um, Every year for my birthday, which I think I had mentioned in shows past, I would actually go to both the Twin Towers and the Museum of Natural History. That was like every year of my growing up was going to those two places. And what did you like about them? Because to me, they look like Tetris blocks. Yeah, you said you mind you the big, just long plain ones right like they were neat like i remember seeing them you know in person and i think i went there as a kid but i I don't remember but um like i think we went up at you know up up one of the towers you know when i was a kid but you know i just like they're they were neat like they were definitely like really cool looking but i think that the new tower is just so beautiful but i only like it during the day because it looks at nighttime like there's just light bulbs hanging. In yeah, the windows, it just looks. It? Yeah, like at night it just looks like a basic skyscraper. But like during the day, it is just like the shape of it and the way that it gleams. Because I see it every single day that I go to the office. <laughs> <laughs> so every every day you're forced to go to the office. You will be able to see. Yes. But I what did it. you like about them? Um, like the, the original twin towers. I would say the main thing I liked about them was the fact that when you got to the top of it. The fact that you were so far south on the island that you'd be able to, when you got up on the observation level, be able to look out and see like the entire city. It's kind of like we discussed about going to Rockefeller Center because you and I both have yet to be, have gone to Rockefeller Center to see, you know, like what the view from their Mm -hmm. observation deck is. And one of the things that you had mentioned about that is that you want your favorite building is the Empire State Building. It's because to me, it's the quintessential New York building. Right. See, I think that that's what I think about the uh, Chrysler Building. You know, mm-hmm. I, and I don't know why I like the Chrysler Building better than the Empire State Building. I think that it's just more gothic looking. I, I like the reflective metal off it and whatnot. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's not beautiful, but yeah, like I could see that because like when you when you look compare the empire state building to the chrysler building to the world trade center you know the new world trade center like it's just a basic design of a building but to me that is just it's classic new york and that's why i love it well the reason why we always thought about going to um rockefeller center was because you get to see the empire state Mm -hmm. building as opposed to going up in the empire state building you see everything around you but you can't necessarily see the building that you love the most because you're in it no if i'm gonna get over if i'm gonna like push my fear of heights to the limit i'm gonna want to see the one building (laughs) that i love more than any other you know so that's that was always like my thing that i wanted to do yeah right but for me that was kind of like what the twin towers was like because 
you could see where it was located. You could literally see the entire city. You could see, you know, into Central Park from that area almost. Well, I've heard, and I, I know I read this somewhere, like in reading like the you know, information about like One World Trade, the new the new building. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming it was the same thing for the observation deck of the Twin Towers that on a very clear day, much like, you know, 9-11 was. Like, I remember that the weather that day was gorgeous. And the weather on Thursday when I was there to, you know, interview some people at the memorial and stuff was a beautiful day. But on a crystal clear day, you can see Massachusetts from the top of the building. It's the tallest building in the Northern Hemisphere. Right. So you can see like seven states. And I mean, like from here to Massachusetts, that's a really long stone's throw. Right. And and what was the difference? Like, is this one bigger or was the, was the Twin Towers bigger? I think this one may be bigger, but then there's like the controversy the over the spire. Right. I think where you were able to stand, like the observation deck, was actually higher in the old buildings. But then because is, of yeah. the spire, now it's, you know, now the tallest building. Yeah. So, but that's only going to last for so long because... Is a new building going up, which is going to be the new highest yeah, building. Yeah, the residential building on like near Central Park South. Yeah. Yes. Which is disgusting, but whatever. More more apartments we will never ever be able to <laughs> afford with what it comes down to. So why don't they just pack as many as of them high as they possibly right. can? So now, was the observation like was it enclosed? Was it outside? Like you know, I know the Empire State Building is outdoors. But like, was the one was were the ones that were at the twin towers like enclosed, or were you like t- exposed to the elements? You could go up on the roof for sure, um, but they also had like the floor just before the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all just open to tourists to kind of just roam around that area, and that's where like they had their gift shop and things like that. But you know, since like. You know, my birthday's in February, so a lot of times we would go there, and depending on the weather, they would say, you can go in, you know, mm-hmm. to the roof right, or sure. not. But, I mean, even if you just went to, you know, stayed on the inside part of the observation desk, I mean, the, it was just, a, the view was just mind-blowing. Yeah, I don't think they let you outside now. Like, I think it's, like, glass, and mm. I think it's, like, the glass is, like, at an angle or something so that you're able to kind of, like, lean over and look down on the street but oh. still see everything why would you want to do that i don't think i'd want to do that part <laughs> there's like it. a place in like chicago or some shit that like the windows go out and down and like you hold on to them and like the windows move so that like you can you're almost like suspended behind the glass like at an angle over the city and i'm, I'm pretty like sure- a thrill ride Almost, but yeah, but it's part of like a it's it's in like some kind of like skyscraper tower that like you could go and look out over with a city. Is it the Sears Tower? I don't know. I don't know. Because I remember the Sears Tower being like the tallest building like yeah, for the longest forever, time. And, yeah. and then it got outdone because, you know. That's what just happens. That's what happens. You just keep bigger is better. That's what I hear. So, um you know, going back to the actual original building you've been talking to a lot of people like over the last week and stuff like that preparing for mm-hmm. 9-11 and stuff and like it's amazing like how many people can remember every single aspect of that day oh, like yeah. where they were what they were doing when it happened and like share some of that with us 
Well, actually, one of the people that um, I interviewed for the story were he is a co-owner of a deli that is literally 50 yards from where Ground Zero was. So, like, you could see, you know, you would have been able to see the Twin Towers, and now you can see, like, the corner of the reflection pools that are part of the memorial that... And there's two pools, and there are these big, huge, square beautiful like waterfalls inside but like they're deep because and they show just how deep like ground zero went and they're in the same exact footprint of where the towers stood so you know he could you could see like a portion of that from from this cafe and i just happened to wander in i'm doing i i did a story for this week's metro um about the anniversary because it's you know it's the 16th anniversary and I was just kind of talking because the neighborhood has changed so much because everybody's seen the pictures everybody knows it's the anniversary we know all this stuff but like what a lot of people might not realize is how much how through much of that 16 years the neighborhood of the financial district has really grown in leaps and bounds like tourism is way up like way way up since one world trade center open the museum the the memorial and like all of these things are now popping up and this is stuff that like i see every single day like i've seen firsthand that like this old abandoned building is now this beautiful like shopping center destination with fancy shops and like celebrity chefs are opening up things downtown and like downtown is you know being that i've worked here in the financial district for much of the past five years after we leave, the workers leave. Like the financial district is just dead. It's a dead zone. And now it's like people are going there because it's becoming like a hot spot. You know, and it's it's hard to say that like, oh, this is like a destination. There's attractions where so many people lost their lives. But like the city has to recover and it has to rebuild. So this, this gentleman, I just happened to walk into this deli just being like, how's business since the museum's open? And, you know, all of these things are opening around you. And I walk in and I see this sign and it's just this like crudely made sign on a piece of plywood like you would hang in your window if you were fleeing a hurricane like so many people down south are doing now, (laughs) you know, and it just said medical station and it was like battered and just like almost like like warped from just time. But it was hanging on the wall of this deli and it turns out that this deli ended up being basically a medical facility for five months that it was government run but it was a medical facility for five months after 9-11 so like the government brought in doctors and like they treated the, the recovery workers they treated victims that day you know or in the in the ensuing days as they were like trying to recover survivors which you know really didn't happen that much right so like this deli for five months was a medical facility. It reopened after two years, you know, two and a half years it reopened after 9-11. And then he described to me, like, what it was like that day. It just started out like any other day. It was beautiful. And then they heard, like, they didn't see the plane hit, but they heard they heard it. And they heard started to get, like, what was going on. And they were like, oh, my God, a plane hit. And he was like, I just thought it was a mistake. You know, because, like, shit right. happens. Like, I think a plane flew into... The um, sorry about that. <laughs> the Empire State Building at one point, you know, like plane, years ago, yeah, years ago, and like before they did like the restricted airspace and stuff like that. So I mean, it has happened where like a little tiny Cessna might clip something. So they were just like, oh my god, what a horrible tragedy! Like this happened. They didn't realize. So he was like, 
I need to go outside and bring my sign in because they were like probably thinking of maybe like closing for the day like just this is not going to be good so he was bringing his sign in and as he's bringing it in he looks up and he sees the second plane hitting the tower and he was just like oh my god and all the workers there were nine workers there at the time and they all like hovered in the in the restaurant because they didn't know what else to do and they all lived down there so like they lived near their deli so it was like they had nowhere else to go so he said that um and i just said like what happened because you know it was within like 40 minutes or an hour the towers crumbled like first the first one and then the second one followed because of the first one so he said i I was like what did that sound like because I always wondered like was it I always that was something that like what did it sound like what did it feel like like did you feel the vibrations like you know you're at like a NASCAR race or something like that and the cars go by and like you could feel it in your feet and he said all he heard was just one single boom when the building fell so they didn't feel anything and they were like basically across they were they were literally right there like they should have been dead for god's sakes like god forbid you know but god forbid they were all everybody's all right they get checked every single year because they wow. were so there to because they were they breathed it in because they lived where like all that ash and smoke and all of that horrible stuff that so many people are sick from now yeah you know and it was just it was so it was so harrowing to hear but he was like they came back and they opened and the like it was tough for a couple years for like six seven years he said like business was bad because the neighborhood was so closed and it got to a point where like you couldn't get into the financial district unless you had the proper identification unless you were a recovery worker you know so i mean when they need to close off an area they definitely close it off yeah. Well, you and I have been down there like this is going this isn't now when, you know, more things have opened up, but a few years ago we went down there. Yeah, we actually went down on a Sunday night the night before Sandy because I had they were like they uh, my job at the time emailed us and said, "Hey, you know, if you have anything, if you have your computer, come and get cuz we use laptops, but we never brought them home." So right. they were like, "You need to go get your laptops in case we're not going to be able to get to the office tomorrow." And sure shit like we were out of the office for two and a half months because of Sandy. So yeah, the financial district keeps just getting battered. Like just, and maybe it's just because of its location. I feel like, you know, if there was another attack, like, and, and hopefully it never will be, but you know, it just, I don't know, man, it just doesn't make sense. Cause there, it, there never was a lot, a lot of people downtown, but it's so easily to access from not just, you know, the attack that happened, but also, you know, the fact that weather-wise, it's on the lowest part of the island. Right. I mean, it's it's just left it's, out. It's, it's on the water. It's surrounded by water on all sides. And it's narrow. Yeah, it so, is. Like, you can easily walk from, like, the tip, from one end of the tip to the other in seconds, minutes. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very easy, because when you're walking... Like, especially where my office is, you could see the water in either direction when I come out of my office. Like, I could see, like, not, like, clear or anything like that, but you could see the glimmer in Brooklyn in the distance, or you could see the glimmer and, you know, New Jersey in the distance. So, I mean, it's just surrounded by water, but... I mean, it is the financial capital of the world. So it's right. like... <laughs> so everybody goes in early, they do that stuff, get their money, yeah. and then they get the hell out. But when we went down there, man, it was dead. Like, I mean, empty, empty. Like when yeah. we went down there. And during the day, it's absolutely crazy, especially where I work. I work on Broadway. So like I never go out the front door of my building because it's on Broadway and it's terrible because you and then like when you go out the back door, the the stock exchange is just like a block away 
um, to the right. So it's like, oh my God, the stock exchange is so popular and people just stand there. Like it's, there's just always like thousands of people just standing there and it's almost, it's like Times Square kind of, but not, not as bad as Times Square yet. Right. But I think it, it's, but I'm definitely seeing in the last couple of years, like I have had the tourism numbers, like how it jumped from like 11 million in 2012 to last year, there was like 14, almost 15 million people have visited lower Manhattan alone. Which is weird because at one point we were actually considering moving down there. And when you talk to people who, you know, got in after the oh, attack yeah. happened. Yeah. When they reopened the neighborhood. Yeah, it was dirt cheap. Yeah. I have I know somebody who knows somebody who lives in a building that I actually my old office actually looked out onto this beautiful building that's like it's like luxury high rise now and she was living in it for like fifteen hundred dollars a month. She had a beautiful two bedroom apartment oh for fifteen hundred dollars a month in a building that now minimum is like three thousand for like a studio. Yep. And and that's the problem that we ran into because we you know, we both know people who were living down there and you talk to them and it's like, oh man, that's totally affordable. I mean fifteen hundred a month you can't. I, you cannot even find an apartment here in Harlem for fifteen hundred dollars a no. month. No, our first apartment was twelve hundred, and it was. And that was five years ago. And that was five years ago. Yeah, <laughs> like that same apartment. I think after we moved out, jumped to like sixteen hundred, yeah. and then I can only imagine what it what it is now. Probably closer to two. Yeah. I feel like it goes up at least a hundred bucks every yeah. year. So. And that's something that that man that I spoke to from the World Essex Cafe, John, he said. That, you know, business is great now. He's like, it's booming because there's still so much construction going on. Like, they're rebuilding a chapel that got completely annihilated in during 9-11. And then there's always construction going on. So he said, like, a lot of his customers now are amid the workers and everybody that works nearby. Because delis are such a, like, staple to life. Because it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just, well. a, you could get so many things at a deli. So, so many people rely on them. But, like, tourists now walk in. Construction workers now walk in. When I walked in, there were two army guys like i don't know if what i don't know what they were like if they were national guard or something like that but they were just like in their whatever their fatigues and they had their guns and like they were just getting sandwiches and it was like all right everybody needs some rose yeah i guess so but he was like you know he goes business is booming but our rents have gone up astronomically in the last five years because of the beautiful monuments because of you know all the other development because it's now a hot spot and they know that people are going to come to see it, so they're going to be spending more money, so right. everybody has to get rich, not just the people who own the businesses. Although, it's kind of like a jip, though, man, because the people who own the businesses down there, they had to sit through, like, how many years how many of years? nothing? Right. Two and a half years they were closed. And yeah. he said he owns it with his brothers, and you know, he, his brothers were like, we don't want to go back, because it was such... Uh, just a desolate area for so long after the attacks because nobody wanted to go there. Right. And maybe I'm, I feel like for a lot of people, maybe they put like so much into those businesses that they were kind of stuck with them. Yeah. Because I mean, the insurance companies drag their feet oh, and yeah. paying out. Oh, so, yeah. you know, if you were invested in that neighborhood, like you're kind of stuck with it. Yeah. And you know, you should get something for it. Like you can't just wait. Now it's doing good. But when it was doing bad, you had no problem charging and making right, making right. a living on that, you know, like as far as the landlords go and stuff. Right. But it should be something more like rent controlled, like apartments are. So like if you were there and open during, you know, the collapse of the neighborhood, then you, your rent should only be able to go up so much as opposed to being able to go up so much that 
it prices you out. And basically, it's genderifying an already expensive place. Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, down there, you can go to like, what there's a there's like a bunch of places that are like really nice places that made it through but not the price of like a deli like i mean it's expensive yeah, because I mean, it's business people yeah exactly and it is and i mean like it, it's very hard to find like a, an inexpensive lunch in the financial district because you have wall street and you've got those patrick bateman types you know <laughs> that walk around i mean like we when i worked for this very suave quote unquote owner of one of my you know jobs he would like go to these lunches like he would take us to these lunches at these places that were like 20 bucks a pop for like sushi and it's like okay i I, and i and i'm like i'm not paying 7.99 for like from the sushi joint like up the street you know what i mean Dwayne reed no (laughs) i did although i did live on Dwayne reed sushi for a really long time oh my (laughs) god it's so good like they have sushi chefs that make it right there i well i mean it's weird to think of going to a like a pharmacy to buy your. But you're not. It's sushi. not. It's like they've changed. Like just how there's like super WalMarts and like super Targets and stuff where they offer so many different things. That's how this is because they're trying to compete with everyone all the else. Other places, yeah. But I guess you got to do as much as you can. Whatever you can make money off of is the way it is, yeah. right? Yeah. So, man. So, where were you on? 9-11 all those years ago all those years ago I was actually sitting on my couch getting ready for work um, mm-hmm. I worked I think I worked like at four or something like that I worked for a cable company in Pennsylvania that actually serviced New York City um, so I was I was working there and one of my friends and I was on web TV if you remember that you had a web I had TV. web TV yeah. did you have the keyboard for it oh yeah Oh my god! I loved it. I loved because I never needed. I never wanted the internet, and my brother was like, "You should get this," and blah blah blah. And I was just like, "Okay, fine." Like I needed to get. And my friend tech messaged me, and she was like, "Hey, did you see what's happening?" And I was like, "No." Like I'm just sitting here checking my email before work, and you know whatever. Did you have AOL? No, I think it was just like web TV. Like it was like a webmail uh, thing. I never had right. an AOL account ever. Surprisingly enough, I was gonna say I was like I feel like you would have jumped on the AOL bandwagon. No, I never was like I was not like a chat room. I hated oh I hate chatting. I hate it. All right, but um, and she just and I turned on the TV and I was just like, what is this? Like a trailer for like Armageddon or something? <laughs> because by the time I turned it on, because it was like nine o'clock, I think. And by that point, you know, the buildings were already hid and like the smoke. And then I watched it live as like the buildings fell, but. It, and I was just like, holy shit, like, this is not a movie. Like, this is real life. And it was just, it was insane just watching it. And I remember driving to work, and I went this, like, one way. And, like, we were, I was listening to the news radio, which I never, ever do, like, because I hate listening to stuff like that. And I just remember, like, just, I couldn't stop listening because I was like, what is happening? What is this? And every, and I'm, like, sobbing as I'm driving. And I, like, look over, and I stop at a light near the shopping center near my house. And I looked over... And the person, the guy sitting next to me is crying in his car. And we just like looked at each other and we're just like, we just mouth like, God bless you. Like, it was so weird. Like, oh my God. Like, I get so upset about it. Like, you do get upset about it. Like, it's never going to go away. Like, it's not going to go away. It's what it is. Isn't it weird how like, we'll like celebrate certain holidays, like close schools down and things like that. And then, like, this has yet to be turned into, like, some kind of, like, service day. Like, where people should have off for it. Or, like, 
you know, it's it's something strange. more to memorialize it, yeah. Because I mean, every like, year, like I think it is... they call it like Patriots Day or something like that. But like, it's not like it's not like an official an official holiday. It's strange that it's not though. Yeah, no, I I agree. And so so by the time I got to work, it was the weirdest thing because we were that company was such a horrible company, mm-hmm. and we always like you know it was a call center vibe. It was a call center, so you know we had like we always would have like hundreds of calls in queue from people like calling for service, calling for this, calling for that. And it was nothing because New York was one of our biggest markets. And it was just complete. And because of Boston being like where everyone's like where the flights originated, which a lot of people do forget about that, like Boston was affected in a big way, too, because a lot of those people were from Boston, you know, on those flights. So they um, so like it was just so quiet like it was more quiet like there and like they didn't know what to do with us because we were always like pick up the phone you know pick it up hang it up pick it up hang it up like so it was constantly constantly and it was just nothing so we all would just gather in the lunchroom and they were like just go like go in there and like we would just watch the news oh but everybody that worked for us we actually had trucks at the world trade center that day because we serviced that but we serviced both buildings and we actually had people there and none of them were harmed so we were just like wait we didn't know until like three days later like our trucks were destroyed but all of our people were accounted for which we were like holy shit yeah man it's amazing that anyone got out alive the way it went the way it happened and it's strange because when it got hit it didn't come down right away no it was like yeah it was like an like an hour before like everything started to crumble yeah and it was freaking weird because where were you they all knew um in my bedroom like you know like i had to be in a bed somehow right Right, of course i was laying down of course (laughs) i was lounging as i do where though like um i was in pennsylvania I was working from home for an advertising agency, um, and I remember I was I, I usually used to start late. Like I would never start before noon when I when I used to work from home. Boy, do you know how to live life? Yeah, you gotta try to figure out like if you're gonna be stuck in the house, how do you want to make it so that it's still a quality worth a life living, right? I guess so. So I would work late at night and then like I would just watch everything cool. I think which is also like trained me to this day to like be a night Stay person as opposed to in the morning watching adults person. swim. Yeah, because seriously, it's not a change in schedule. It's just what it always was yeah. for the most part. Just going back to that. But I remember being in bed and getting a text saying, did you hear that the towers went that that a plane crashed into the tower? And I was like. What the hell is this? And I was pissed because it woke me up. Like, that was number one. And I read it. And at the time, the ex was working, like, not too far from it. Like, she was in the village. And by the time I read the message and went to text back, like, her phone was already down. Yeah. Like, it was out. So, of course, my thought automatically, like, I feel like everyone's thought was if somebody tells you a plane crashed into a building, you're thinking a small plane clipped the building and flying by and you're like, whoa, Right, because like they rent them to people who aren't, you know, always like it could be somebody learning how to like learning how to fly and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking. And then like, you know, I I was just like, who cares? And then like, I'm like. Number one, I can't get a message back anyway. Yeah. So it really doesn't matter because I can't do anything. I'm, you know, 
three hours away from the city. I'm like, so whatever. And then I just put the TV on. <laughs> Typical Tom. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I put the TV on. And when I saw the plane hit it, it kind of like set in like, wow, man, that pilot was So you didn't up. even know, like, because by that point, the towers were down. Like they were, it was, they were annihilated. No, when I, when I first turned it on, the first plane had just hit. They were reporting But you on said it. you woke up at noon. Uh, no, I usually woke up at noon, oh, but that okay. call woke me oh, up, which okay. is why I was okay. pissed off. I was like, oh, by wait, noon. What? No, no. The day was half over by noon at that point. Like, you know, for the towers, like they were down by noon, I think. But oh, this yeah, was early down. in the morning, like what, like eight, eight yeah, o'clock in the like, morning, it, something yeah, like, like that happened? Yeah, like soon after eight, and then like I think before 10 o'clock is when the towers collapsed. Yeah, so the first plane they were actually showing on the news, and they were like, this is what happened. And you're looking at it, and you're like, wow. And still, the idea of terrorism wasn't even a thought, still, because it was just like, you couldn't wrap your mind that somebody would purposely crash a plane into a building. So it was like... Maybe the pilot had a heart attack. Maybe some, you know, there right. was a malfunction or something like that. And while they were showing the thing on repeat over and over on the news, the second plane hit, and they caught that live while they were reporting from the streets. And once that happened, it was like, holy shit! Like, what else is going to wind up coming down? Right. Because it's weird. They all went after the same building as opposed to different buildings. So it was kind of, it was like, is it like? an attack on just this one structure is it happening all over the place and then within a few hours you started hearing about the plane that went down in pennsylvania mm -hmm. the plane that went down by the pentagon and you know it was like just mind-blowing like just to even wrap your mind around something like that that can happen so long like it wasn't that long ago but i mean today if it happened i don't think anybody would be surprised no, and like I was just gonna say, like, do you think that, God forbid, something like that get repeated? Like, like it's it's like I personally am just waiting for something horrific like that to happen. I think most because people that's are. the world that we live in. Like, yeah. that's just you know, every day you just go out and you're just like, hopefully today is you know a day that everybody that I know and love is safe, and you know, and the world around us is safe. But like, it's growing ever closer to just total world implosion. Yeah, and it's it's just bizarre that we live in a world right now where if a plane crashed into a building, we'd be like, we've seen it all before. Like, what what else could you possibly do at this point in time? Like, I feel like they hit a bar, like, for devastation. Right, and now, like, it's the truck accident. It's like the truck attacks. And... Which seems so small in comparison. Horrible as they may be, they don't seem as bad. Big. Like, I don't know, man, a pl using a plane as a weapon is insane. No, it, yeah, it, it is insane. It absolutely is insane. And one of the interesting things that um, I worked on in the story for Metro this week was um, I spoke to someone from St. Paul's Chapel. Yes. Which is this beautiful little church um, that is part of like the Trinity Church family like it, it's owned and operated by trinity church which is the oldest which i believe is the oldest church in manhattan it was built in like the 1600s it's across the street from my office it's so beautiful i sometimes walk through the cemetery on lunch just because it's quiet and it's so beautiful but 
this church was if you like were to walk like through like they have you know the wrought iron gate around the cemetery like right. every church if you were to just walk through the fence you would be at the world trade center you would be at the museum now you would be at the reflecting pools and one world trade center so it was literally a stone's throw away from ground zero not a stone not a window. I think the only casualty of the building itself was like a sycamore tree where like a, a piece of like metal like sliced through it or something like that. Damn. But it, and like there were pieces of things that were found like blocks and blocks oh, away. Yeah. Like a bolt was found at City Hall, which is like a good 10 blocks away maybe, you know? And so this church has like was just like it's like the little church that could like it was completely unharmed in every sense. The only the only damage that really had was like after um, because it became and I remember going to Ground Zero in like February of 22, 20, uh, 2002. Sorry. Um we went there and like we came into the city like a bunch of my friends because people from the company that I worked for, like the cable company from one of our California offices came in and they were like, we want to go to New York City because we're so close. So we like a group of us came in and they were like, we want to go to the ground zero. So we were able to go there and we were able to like they at the time, like, you know, where the pit, what they called the pit where they were doing, like they were cleaning out the debris and looking for bodies and things like that, which is where the. Um, the reflecting pools are now and like you could see how almost how deep it was like it was so deep oh yeah it was so deep and I remember like you could see an entire subway car was like lodged in there because there was a subway underneath that yeah. serviced you know the World Trade Center so like you could see an entire subway car like just sticking out of like the rubble and so I remember St. Paul's and I had never gone down to the financial district in all the times that I came to the city. Like before that, we had never gone down there. So it was just like a whole different world. But St. Paul's had like all around its fence were pictures, like the laminated pictures of like, if you have you seen this person, there were flowers, there were ribbons, they were like searching for this. Like, so it became this haven for the missing because so many bodies, there are still, I think like 1400 bodies yeah. that haven't been identified yet. And so St. Paul's after 9-11 became like a comfort station, a relief center for the recovery, the recovery workers. And, you know, like I said before, not like the financial district was completely closed to anybody who wasn't authorized to be down there because of the dangers, because of just trying to keep people safe. So this church, like the, this man that I spoke to told me that the recovery workers would come here and they would rest and they would get food and water and they would sleep on the pews and they used pillows. Um, they used pillows that were actually stuffed animals that this little girl from Ohio donated because she had been like collecting stuffed animals her whole life and she wanted to do something so she like sent them here so that they could like rest their heads on stuffed animals and it was just like Damn. oh my god I'm talking to this guy on the phone thankfully because I was like as I'm talking like to him now? like I'm doing right now like <laughs> you know tears are like draw like running down my cheeks and it was just like oh my gosh and this man that I spoke to his name is Jay Chester Johnson and he wrote this poem called St. Paul's Chapel and it was about how the church, you know, and it, it, it kind of starts out with like, it said it stood 
not a stone was unturned, you know, not a window broken, like just about how this chapel became this like little haven for people. And it just was like, and like when you see it now, it's like, it's literally like you can't look at it and not see the World Trade Center. So it's just like a miracle that this little tiny church was, is just completely unscathed where just across the street from the back end of the World Trade Center, a Greek Orthodox, a Greek Orthodox church was just, just they're rebuilding it now, but it was completely just destroyed. Damn, man. Unbelievable that, you know, anything in that area survived. Of course, you just think the Twin Towers went down, but so many buildings in that area got just well, it's like, crushed yeah. when it came down. That Or de- like blown out, like windows were blown out at the yeah. buildings next to it. Because I remember when we went to Ground Zero, like they, the one building that's actually like one of the pictures that I took where you could see the new World Trade Center reflected in its windows. When I was there in 2002, it was covered in like that black mesh that they put when they like when they're building buildings and they put like mesh over it and it had this humongous like it had to have been like a football field wide or something like that but it was like this humongous american flag and it was just like wow yeah man the the flags were all over the place back then yeah but it's strange that the idea of that attack was to like cripple the country like a you know attack the financial district you know make it like break the break America break yeah. America and they did almost the opposite they made it so that like now it's that that neighborhood is more hopping now than it ever was back, back when it was right yeah when it was the original yeah and you know you look at it and you're kind of like that just doesn't work with us man like it really just doesn't work and as far as conspiracy theories go no way man like I don't, I cannot get behind Honestly, any conspiracy theories. No, with I, it. I can't. I can't either. And it was so interesting because when when I walked into the restaurant to talk to the you know John who had been there on nine eleven, the first thing he said to me was like, "You're not going to talk." It's like he goes, "I don't want to talk about conspiracies." Right. And it's I was not. like, "No, no." I'm like, "I want to talk about the business." I'm like, "You know, were you here that day?" And he was like, "Oh yeah." He's like, "I own this place." Like, of <laughs> course. Like, you don't own a restaurant and not be in it, you know. Right. I think he, you know something about yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it was just like, "No." And I'm like, "There's no like what conspiracy?" Like, what right. are you talking? We all saw it. And if you didn't see it live, you saw it live on TV. And if you didn't see it live on TV, you have seen it every November or every September 11th since then. Yeah, I don't know what anybody who says it's a conspiracy wants to gain from it. Like, there is no gain from it. You know what I mean? It's just to be opposite and it's just to be an asshole, like saying there's no climate change or. <laughs> With the worst Donald Trump the is a great president. Seen. Yeah, like it's. it's Yeah. Just people who just don't. Like, I, I don't want to say they don't know any better because, like, they know, like, they just. They have no brain, I guess. Yeah. Well, for those out there celebrating, um, you know, however you do so in somberness. Somberness. So, well, I mean, remember. not celebrate. Remember. That's the better word. Thank you. My God. <laughs> well, because I want it to be a holiday. Not to have a day off, but just because if there's weird things like Halloween, which really doesn't have. And I, you know I love Halloween. It's my favorite. But there's really no reason to have a Halloween. It's kind of like a, 
made up holiday for the most part. This is something that actually happened. It doesn't make sense not to have this be a holiday, but have Halloween be a holiday. I agree. I think it totally should be like a national holiday. Yeah. And so I, when I say celebrate, I don't mean celebrate. I mean commemorate. Commemorate. The other C word. <laughs> Not the other C word. <laughs> Not the C word you probably wanted to call me at the beginning of this show. That's true. That's true. We, we were to, I hope when you're writing a description, you write, because Nikki writes a description every week. And I hope this week she writes, in an emotionally charged beginning of the show. That's how I hope it all starts off. I think I'm going to say in an anger-induced beginning. In an anger-induced beginning. (laughs) But until you get to that part, I think we have one more thing to do really quick. And it's on your shoulders again. Well, it's just my show. So let's get to a Roly Poly Rorty. Let's do it. Roly Poly Rorty. Roly Poly Rorty. So in addition to doing all of this, you know, spending so much time in like in the emotional, you know, being an emotional wreck over 9-11, I also was lucky enough to visit um, Canine Companions for Independence, this wonderful, wonderful facility in Medford, Long Island, not far from where Tom grew up on Long Island. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's actually like I took the train to Ronkonkoma. Like, so it's like, and the guy, I said like, oh, let's meet at the Dunkin' Donuts. And he's like, you know the Ronkonkoma station? I'm like, oh, I know it. <laughs> I know Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> you should have said. But I got to see this amazing facility, which is one of six in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, they're spread all throughout. And this organization gives service dogs to people with disabilities um, from different levels like Um, They don't do the I think the only thing that they don't do is service dogs for the blind because that's a whole different. Yeah, that's a whole different level. Yeah. Yeah. But these are for people with, you know, I talked to a gentleman who is paralyzed from the waist down from a from a bicycle accident and he and I got to meet his dog Kip and (laughs) so cute. And it was like very hard. Like it was amazing to see. It was truly amazing. It's like this big facility. And he said that unlike some of their other facilities, this is the only one that's kind of under one roof. So they breed. Mm-hmm. So they they from from birth until retirement, they're involved in these dogs lives on a f- regular basis. So they train them mm-hmm. at their facility then they give them to raisers who teach them how who teach them and acclimate them to society and then the raisers then give them back to cci to do the the extensive training so for six to nine months they're going through this like extensive training that hones in on the skills that they've learned with their raisers and like you know at any time they have up to 60 dogs you know they, they live there they have an over like they have a caretaker who stay who lives in the facility so Damn. that person's there 24 7 they have a 20 like they have a maintenance person that's there and like the most interesting thing was like they have like 60 some dogs now i've been in shelters i've been in some great new york city shelters that do not smell like dogs i've been in you know shitty shelters that like you walk in and you're just like oh my god like you it can't was, get over yeah. the smell to see the dogs not even even when i walked through the kennel it was like you could not smell. The only way that you knew that there were dogs was like you could hear the clang of like their their leash. Like you could hear the clang of their collars. You could hear them barking. I could like hear them like <laughs> like sniffing at me. You know, it was like 
oh my god it's like you don't even have a dog much less a whole flock of them you know right and it was just really interesting to hear like all the work that goes into the training and how even though they're do- like and like they, they everything that they do is f- to help people to give them a sense of normalcy to give them again a companion like it's right in their name right but it's their number one goal is that dog is to make sure that that dog has a good life whether it becomes a service dog or whether it doesn't and i think they said that four in ten dogs mm-hmm. become service dogs like that they wow, have really? like that's four, it. i believe that's what it is i don't quote me too much on that because like right. there's a lot of information i have and i haven't been able to uh, yeah but, and you just did it today yeah so. and i just did it and i was there for like most of the day and it was just it was so amazing and i mean just the people like i talked to an instructor who walked me through a quick demo of like because they these dogs go to their humans knowing like up to more than 40 commands damn and one of the dogs that i got to watch was some was um carrie and he was able to and i watched him pick up he picked up a bottle he picked up a pill bottle he picked up a cell phone and like the commands that they use to give them so like the dog when he picked up something he wasn't just he wouldn't just like drop it in your lap he waited until he was told drop or give, I think it was. And then that, because someone with like motor skills that aren't very good, you know, needs a second to like get their, their like muscles to work to like take right. something from the dog. So then like the dog drops it right in their lap so that they don't have to bend. I watched him open up a drawer. I watched him turn a light on. And she said he hasn't mastered turning a light off yet, we'll but he's it. good at, but he's good at turning a light <laughs> on. You know, and then um, when I talked, when I spoke to to Kevin, who was who is um, you know paralyzed from the waist down, I got to see his dog, like how he walks alongside him in his wheelchair, and how he just automatically goes to like you know the buttons that you that the handicap buttons for doors. Yeah, he automatically goes to the door like he knows enough to go and just press his nose up against that button to open the door so that kevin and his wheelchair can go through damn and he like he walks right next to him and you know he has a special leash so that to ensure that he it's long enough so that there's no like paw rolling over or anything like that and i mean just the love that every single person that i met and i met a ton of people today and they just are there to serve the dogs and give them to the people that need them the most. And the most important thing is that this is completely 100% free. And we've talked about this in past shows that the do- like service dogs go up to like 60,000, 50, $60,000, yeah. you know, because it, a lot like, and that's, and that's a number that they quoted to me that it was like $50,000 to train a dog from puppyhood until, you know, retirement. Like it's $50,000 her dog and they have like hundreds of dogs throughout all of their locations that go every single year damn you know and it's just it was really interesting to see and especially see it from the angle of someone who's interested in getting a service dog and of course because they only because their 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 training is so intensive there's a wait list of like a year a year and a half to get one of their dogs but when you get one of their dogs it is ready to go and yeah. then you come in for two weeks and you learn what you learn what they know and then it gets adapted into what you need them to do. And you don't just walk in there to get it. Like I said, there's a wait list. But right. before you get put on a wait list, you fill out an application. There's 
a very intense screening program. Then if you get chosen, you have a phone interview. If you get if you move on from that, you come in for an in-person interview. And because, you know, a lot of people have limited mobility and things like that, there's a dormitory on site where you where you can stay there free of charge. And they give wow. you, I believe, they give you either breakfast or lunch. I forget what it was. But you stay there. There's like a common area that's a kitchen. And like, you know, they sometimes give dinner. So like they provide some food to you so that you don't have to worry about anything. And it's a beautiful facility. It's in like in this industrial park, you know, in Medford. And you come in for t- you come in and meet them and then they decide like okay we're going to put you on the wait list and then tailor the dogs that they're training and like the documentation that they have because one of my questions was like each handler works with up to 10 dogs and so you're only working with one dog at a time and like it's almost like a shift so the woman that I the Marissa the trainer who gave me the demo with Carrie when it hurt when that section was done with Carrie, Carrie went back to the kennel and took a nap and played and ran around. They have this like great huge like facility outside where they run and play and and all this stuff. And there's like it looked like a little like swing set, like a Fisher Pro, like it looked like a plastic swing set for them to just like run around on. And you know it was like a really nice facility. But when she was done with Carrie, then she goes and gets the other dog, and they have binders and like documents of everything. Like this is how he was with this, and this is. And like they just like cross reference things, so it's like, well, this one's good at this, like, and it's really right. interesting how like you're getting a dog that's tailor made for you, which is incredible. And that's the way, you know, I thought the process was going to go. I'm looking for a dog that does what six, commands. yeah, like five or six things, and, yeah, and, and you know, their dog can learn forty, like you know, at one of these places, yeah. But it also explains a lot as to why it takes so long the process because there are a lot of people in need of dogs and right. you know and they do take a long time to train and even after they're done training from what it I've never been reading, stops no. yeah it never yeah. stops no and that, that's one thing that they said was like you know because especially like if you get chosen and once your puppy like once the puppy comes back and you know he goes through his rigorous six to nine and like, rigorous like and I say rigorous because it's very intensive okay. but it's not like a job it's not like eight hours a day these dogs are getting trained like they get trained maybe an hour or two a day because they don't want to exhaust them. They want to make sure that they're getting the dog to do what, like they're making sure that he's happy doing what he's doing because, and they only use labs and golden retrievers or a mix, like, you know, a hybrid of the two most beautiful dogs in the world. Wow. That's awesome. Not German shepherds. I'm surprised. No, because the I forget how he said it, but he said because labs are eager to please. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know what lab you know. Yeah, I'm know. like, but my lab was a dick. Mine was <laughs> eager to piss you off. Is yeah. what it pretty much was. <laughs> Brownie wasn't eager to please. She she was. She Brownie was eager was to eager love. To please, but... She was eager to love, but she was just like a baby cow. Yeah. And like Nibbles was just Nibbles is sitting at the right hand of Satan. Like we yeah. all, we know that. <laughs> Nibbles was there just to be annoying. That was yeah. what her the whole gig was. Yeah. But you know because they're eager to please and I. Think think it's because and I, i'm pretty sure that the reasoning for retrievers is because they're so very smart and you know the, i wa- i got to like just kind of observe dogs as they were like going through their training and it was so funny because like she was training this one and the other ones were like like laying in the like laying along the side of the wall just watching just chilling just like they're laying on their beds or they're like they're in their crate because that's where they wanted to be you know and it was just like 
Very cool. Yeah, it was really, really neat. And it was gave really good insight into like what really goes into it. So it's like maybe we're, we need to be a little more understanding or maybe we need to look at different things when it comes to our dog. Right, like the training process and mm-hmm. stuff. So, I mean, you know, we knew it was going to be a process. But, I mean, right. we are learning a lot about it, though. I mean, Yeah, but dog. to get like waitlisted for them, I think, would be just amazing because just the seeing firsthand the love was just that really was like, wow, this is the work that they they do is absolutely amazing well i mean we'll definitely go and put ourselves on the list and you know yeah. see i mean because there's no guarantee that in six months from now when they're probably st- i would think they if, they if it's a year and a half or a year from a year to a year and a half to get a dog probably at like the six or eight month mark is when they'll probably start doing like background checks seeing yeah. if they're even worth it there's no guarantee we'll even find a dog in the next six months to wait right, yeah no going, so. so i mean yeah it's just it's it's we just need to like explore our options yeah and you know and because it's such a varied program they have people from all levels of you know disability or need you know so i mean it's it's if that's something that you're looking for you should definitely check out canine companions very cool yes all right so how's that do it for roly-poly roddy oh my god roly-poly nikki is ready to go (laughs) (laughs) all right ah and that does it for us. Well, here you have it. Uh-huh. It was a little turbulent start, <laughs> but uh, we all got through it somehow, didn't somehow we? Somehow we did. Without having to go to show number four and have me freak out. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome, Tom. I <laughs> live to serve you. Well, that's good to know. I'll make a note. If you want to make a note yourselves, you can do so and send it to us at highregardshow at gmail.com or you can check out our website where you can see all of our stories and links to our shows at highregardshow.com. And you could also follow us at High Regard Show on all social media where we share quotes and gifts and fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just say we share fun. That's what we do. And while we're sharing and preparing for next week's show, we hope you all have a good week, everybody. Have a good week. Good night. Gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning God may show you mercy, we will not.